Hi, this is Brianna Salvatore Duick, Head of Strategy at 17 Sport, and this is One on One with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almey of ADC Partners, and let's get one thing out of the way right off the bat. Sports and purpose have always been intertwined. For all the moaning from the shut up and dribble crowd, athletes and sports have always provided a platform to shine a light on the issues of the day. Think about it. Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics. Jackie Robinson joining the Dodgers. Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising their fists in Mexico City. Billie Jean King's match with Bobby Riggs. Yes, of course, these were sporting events. But in the end, they were so much more. And the images and memories of those events are indelible because of it. Now, that intersection of sports and purpose is where this episode's guest, Brianna Salvatore Dueck, lives. As head of strategy for 17th Sport, she's helping brands and sports properties realize the true potential of their partnerships by ensuring that purpose is front and center. In this episode, Brianna and I talk about her work at 17th Sport and the path she took to get there. We touch on what goes into crafting effective purpose-driven campaigns, why they're no longer a luxury, and even how they can be measured. The former D1 hoops player even shares her go-to shot for beating her 6-foot-8-inch husband in horse, so clearly you don't want to miss that. And again, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brianna Salvatore Duek of 17 Sport. So, Brianna, it kind of turns out you were actually pretty good at this whole basketball thing for, for, for a long time. I mean, you played D1 at Davis, right? Um, and you then you played professionally overseas. So I'm kind of wondering about your early memories as a, as a basketball player. And, like, when did you start realizing, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of good at this thing? <laughs> Um, well, what you should know is when I started playing, I was absolutely trash. Like, so bad. <laughs> you were not I, a savant. No, not at all. It was not like a natural, wow, just pick it up and move on your legs. <laughs> I can dunk already. Yeah, exactly. So, because I, I started a little bit late, but as soon yeah. as I, like, I jumped into that basketball pretty full on. Right, so there was no toe dip into the water. You just went right into it. Not at all, no. And it actually, I had watched this super interesting talking about, like, the importance of re representation, but I watched this movie called Double Teamed. It was a Disney Channel movie and it showcased like two basketball players that they were twins. They ended up playing in the WNBA, Heidi and Heather Burge were their names. And I remember watching that movie and going outside that same night and like dribbling my little basketball around the neighborhood. And I was like, I think I wanna play. How old were you at this time? That was in the fifth grade. Fifth grade, all right. So Disney, Disney age, right in the sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. So I tell my dad and my dad is like, oh, it's the day I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make this happen. So he immediately like signed me up for the NJB team. Um, He's getting hoops. He's putting them on the garage. You've got 27 pairs of sneakers. It's happening. Exactly. He was all about it. Got me on the NJB team. He like lied to the coach and was like, she's her best player on her school team. That coach is now like one of my closest friends and his daughter is my best friend, Nicole Ballestero. So anyways, very funny. Um, but I get on that team and then he gets me on like three other teams, like a club team. I was playing on a holy smokes. You did go in with both feet. 
so we jumped all the way in and I immediately, honestly, like, I think what made me fall in love with basketball was not the sport at first. It was the community element of it because uh-huh. I had immediate friends. Like I the had, belonging. yeah, I think it was a sense of belonging. Um, cause again, I was terrible at first. So it really was like this family element that like drew me to it. And then I think as I started to see success, I liked that element of it too. And I had something I could like really hang my hat on and be proud of, of I worked hard on this and I'm seeing results. Was there a moment when you were playing, when you started playing, where you went from being, I have, I I don't even really know which basket I'm supposed to shoot on to, you know, I really feel like I'm actually kind of controlling the tempo of this game right now. Was there a moment? Yeah, there was, there was definitely a moment. And it's funny that you say, I don't know which basket to shoot on because I remember my second basketball tournament, I actually scored two baskets in one game for the wrong team. (laughs) So I got open on the press break and I thought I was open for a layup. Was the coach like, I thought you told me she was the best player on your other team. I mean, it was a team. (laughs) Um, The moment I knew I was like kind of turning a page and I stood out as a good player was between the summer, between fifth grade and sixth grade. Okay. Back to school. That whole summer, again, my dad was pretty like all in. So he had me signed up for summer camp, summer basketball camp, literally every day of the mm-hmm. summer. So I had exponential growth in yeah, terms of- you got of, the reps in. Went from zero to like, you know, really took off. And so I came back to school in sixth grade. I'm doing like finger roll layups, like step back threes. And, my like, <laughs> and the, the girls are like, what the hell? What just happened? So I think that was the moment when I really knew like, okay, I'm good at this. I want to own this. Let's, let's kind of make this happen. Well, and what an amazing lesson to right? all the hard work that you put in over the summer, put such tangible results in. And I'm assuming that that becomes almost a feedback loop to a certain degree, huh? 100%. Yeah. You see the results, you get to enjoy the fruits of like being a part of a team and leading. Then it's more motivating to say, okay, now I want to like, play basketball in college and oh can I play professionally and really yeah helped fuel that growth and, and that, that did I mean it ended up taking you to UC Davis and having a very very successful playing career there so successful that you ended up going to Switzerland and playing yeah I was very fortunate to play for an incredible coach Jennifer Gross at UC Davis she's five-time Big West coach of the year um absolutely loved loved my experience there the entire coaching staff is amazing joe terremoto des um abeta matt clemen really really thrived at uc davis um and then was fortunate enough to play for the first division in switzerland in the city of lausanne um, did you see that coming was this something you were preparing for did you think well you know senior year that's going to be the last of my basketball and then holy smokes i get to play in switzerland i always wanted to play pro like that mm-hmm. was a dream of mine when i was young but I had in college, I had two major knee surgeries. Oh, okay. I had three knee surgeries by the time my senior year came. <sighs> One in high school, so never ACLs, like praise the Lord. But, you know, I kind of put a doubt in my mind of like, can my body hold up? Can I do this? It's rigorous. But end of senior year, I was feeling amazing. I was playing my best basketball. Mm. Um, came off of a really great like Big West tournament where I was feeling very confident and we did really well as a team. So... I was like, I still want to play. I want to give this a go. And I was doing an internship in Switzerland originally because I studied international relations. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I ended up doing a tryout for a team in the city of Lausanne called the Esperance Sportive Puy. Yeah, I was going to say that. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, voilà, okay, bon. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and it was wild. Like literally in one day, I remember being very like sad. I'd been in Switzerland for a month. I had no opportunity to play basketball. Oh, you were missing it. There were no clubs. I'm yeah. like, how do I play pro here? They don't even play pickup right. down the road. And literally that the night before I got this tryout and an offer in one day, I was sitting in my dorm room or my little like tiny apartment praying like, God, just a chance. Like, give me, just day, give me the wink. Next day, yeah. this all fell into fell into place. So it was like a huge, huge thing. And I mean, it's a pretty remarkable thing. You go from in one day, you know, going through this period of, gosh, well, I hope I can stay connected to the sport and then trying out and getting offered a professional contract the next day. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, no, it was, it was a dream come true. Like, and what a, I mean, what a special place to do that. I mean, Lausanne is probably one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I mean, you know, that whole area is is pretty remarkable. Yeah. You spent much time in Lausanne? I've spent time there. I don't know about much time, but I've certainly been there once or twice. And I mean, it's it's a, it's unbelievable place to be able to, I mean, particularly not just to be, but to be embedded into the culture at a school level and then at a professional sports level. But like like we talked about previously, I mean, that's that was short-lived, right? I mean, you get to have that opportunity to play and then you have to make this transition, right? I mean, yeah. you go from, like you talked about, it was hard for the month, but then you get to this point where it's like, okay, I think, my competitive playing career mm. is winding up mm -hmm. um, and you make that transition to something else. Yeah. A, a, another, now you had talked about studying international relations, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that transition. Did it, yeah. was it a difficult one for you or do you feel like you had set yourself up well for wow. that moment when you go to the next thing? Yeah. I think transitioning from sports being your main thing into mm -hmm. the real I think is hard for any any athlete can tell you like it's yeah. there's a massive identity thing that comes with that because for so long you've been told you're this playing is the, the most important thing and so then to like shift gears and funnel that same passion into your next play quote unquote can be kind of a challenge to figure that out um, but when I was in Lausanne it was actually such a cool moment because I was cognizant that like I wasn't a WNBA player I wasn't going to make bank playing basketball unfortunately um and i've had four knee surgeries so i was like okay oh we're up to four i uh, know another one in switzerland oh <laughs> sweet mother <laughs> oh my god these knees uh, these knees i tell you they they definitely need some improvement it's it's a tough joint <laughs> but um yeah so i was uh while i was there i was like okay i know that this is not gonna be my forever thing i had always been passionate about sports and impact mm. A lot of it comes down to my own story. When I was young, when I was about two and a half, my mother passed away sadly in a car accident. Mm. And after that, I'd like just had a harder time connecting with other kids. I think when you suffer a loss like that, you kind of clam up a little bit and you're like, okay, like how do I put my heart out there again and trust? And this basketball thing was this amazing blessing that allowed me to connect with my peers and build that confidence in myself and then traveling with basketball all around to China, to Togo, Czech Republic, Germany, playing in Switzerland. I saw the power of sport as a connector as well. And so this fundamental belief that like sport can be an incredible tool to drive impact really, it started in me as a kid, but like, I think being in Switzerland 
I was really aware of that. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. It's such an interesting thing that you talk about, right? There's this personal transformation that sport kind of acted as a catalyst for you, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this personal story that you have incredibly personal story. And then you're in Lausanne, Switzerland, when you're kind of also surrounded by these organizations that are sort of charged with the same task, mm -hmm. right? Because you have, I mean, the Olympics is headquartered in Lausanne, right? And so there's a global sports organization. Uh, the United Nations 30 minutes down the road in, in Geneva. So that feeling of purpose and connectedness is kind of all around you, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%, yes. And Lausanne, again, like such a perfect place to be with IOC, who's arguably the one of the most, if not the most purpose-led organization in the world. Like the impact they're driving on a global scale is incredible. And then, yeah, seeing all the cool NGOs headquartered in, in Geneva, including the United Nations, I'm like, where, how can I weave this path where I'm able to combine both of those things? Did you sense it at that moment? Like, I, I see this part of me in these organizations sort of writ large? 100%, yeah. yeah. I already was applying to, like, internships at the IOC for while I was playing. I would do a bunch of informational interviews with people working at World Health Organization, United Nations, all the different informational interviews with the Federation of volleyball, FIBA, like everything's headquartered in Switzerland. Right. So it's like you like we talked about, you're kind of surrounded by it, but you you end up you, you get your your master's degree mm -hmm. in international development and you go to work for UNESCO. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that and, you know, I, I actually had to look it up. I admitted it. it so I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to read the, the, the defining thing about UNESCO is uh, promotes international cooperation in education, science, culture, communication and information. So that's a pretty broad purview. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about that, if you would, like arriving at UNESCO, what you felt like you were charged with and how you got to realize that inside the organization. Well, when I got to UNESCO, I was tasked, my job was kind of twofold. I was originally there for a graduate internship um, as part of my master's degree for Sciences Po Paris. And I was working on two different things. One was sports diplomacy, mm -hmm. sports diplomacy, and then a concept called sports for development and how those two concepts can help us to achieve the United Nations sustainable development goals. So basically the sustainable development goals are these 30 goals that all of United Nations member countries agreed upon for how we can 17 goals, not 30 goals, 17 goals. Well, at least it's only 17. Agreed. <laughs> 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 It's the 2030 agenda. Okay. Goals are about basically how we can make the world a better place, whether that's no poverty, education for all, gender equity. Um, a lot of the goals are around climate action, et cetera. So it's really working on that subject, launching a 50 page working paper on that topic. Then the other thing was completely different, but it was a G7 initiative on equality in education, um, working in African countries. Um, so, yeah, I also took on a full-time role with UNESCO after my graduate internship, really focused mostly on that G7 initiative, going to Togo, went to Paris for meetings with Ministry of Education officials from seven African countries, but also doing that sports diplomacy piece. So really fantastic experience, like greatly believe in the work of the United Nations and UNESCO, 
but yeah, I think for me, I kind of just saw my personality being very like competitive and a sports girl. I kind of wanted to take that energy more into the sports industry sector itself. Um, and I see the sports industry and the resources of the sports industry as a massive conduit for impact. All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. And what we're going to do is then we'll come back with Brianna Salvatore Duek. She's had a strategy for 17 sport. And we're going to pick up that thread about how her uh, competitive fire led her to uh, the next phase in her career. We'll be right back. If you work in sports business, then you know that we sometimes eat really badly. Stadium food isn't exactly known for its healthy properties. I mean, yeah, it's gotten better. There are more options available. But generally speaking, I'm not seeking out the vegetable plate on the concourse. It's kind of ironic, right? I mean, you're watching these world-class athletes push themselves to the very limits of human performance while shoving a plate of nachos loaded with shaved meat and a hot liquefied cheese that's a color that doesn't even appear in nature. And while that food can taste so good going down, I almost always pay for it later on with heartburn and acid reflux. And that's when I turned reflux gourmet. It's great tasting, all natural way to treat acid reflux. And you can't even believe how good this stuff tastes, right? A chef in Napa Valley actually curated flavors like vanilla caramel and mint chip. And it's all natural. I mean, I actually recognize all the ingredients on the label. Uh, most importantly, though, it, it just works. Just one tablespoon of Reflux Gourmet, and I'm ready to go. Reflux Gourmet is available on Amazon, and if you use the promo code SPORTSBIZ, you'll get a 10% discount on your order. We're back with Brianna Salvatore Duek, head of strategy for 17 Sport. And Brianna, you were just talking about how your competitive fire was maybe some, not the best fit at an NGO like UNESCO and the United Nations. Because having worked with NGOs in the past, I mean, it's like they're such wonderful organizations and their missions are so essential to everything that we do on this planet as a species. But they move at a pace that can sometimes be described as uh, not fast. <laughs> so I'm curious, as you started to look at moving away from NGOs and working for the for-profit sector, what was that transition like? Was it a difficult one for you or was it like, time to do this, let's go? I think it was definitely something that I thought quite a bit about because mm -hmm. I, I still, again, I still believe greatly in, in the United Nations system and like love the people I was working with. But I really had to take a look at like my own giftings and skills as well as the, if I'm so passionate about sports and impact like that, I was confident that the sports industry is where I needed to go to drive that impact. So yeah, I ended up moving from Paris to San Francisco to take a position at Nielsen Sports doing strategy consulting with their team. Um, and that was almost like a little mini MBA in the business of sports because I'm at such a transition from working at UNESCO where you're like, cool, like how do we, really drive impacts on gender equity in sports or whatever to like measuring the ROI of sports sponsorship and like sponsorship fit and really all things related to the business side and like the finance side of sports as well. So it was really, really different, but I think really helpful because I think maybe my concepts of 
what the sports industry cared about or like what made the sports industry tick were short-sighted. And then once you actually get to work in the space, I was working with the Lakers and the Raiders, DoorDash, um, amongst other clients, like you really start to understand, okay, what, what makes the sports in- industry tick? And yeah, it was great. It was kind of interesting too, right? Because you the UN and the NGOs, they lead with purpose. Yeah. The business side, you know, obviously you're leading with revenue. Hmm. Purpose kind of has to be a part of it too. Mm-hmm. And that I think is one of the things that probably drew you to 17 sports. So as we dive into talking about 17 sport, can you give a quick 30,000 foot view of 17 sport, its mission and what separates itself from some of the other agencies that are out there working with brands and working with sports? So 17 sport is a sports impact company. We work with major stakeholders across the sports industry including teams, leagues, athletes that we represent and build strategies for, as well as sponsors across the sports industry. We operate at that intersection of sports, business, and purpose, and we exist to accelerate the transformation of sport into a force for good. And as part of that, we really, we really are here to drive not only business outcomes for our clients, but also help them to maximize their impact across society. And we don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. Like you can be successful as a business by leading with purpose. And actually we have quite a few data points that underpin the fact that by leading with purpose, you're actually able to drive further brand resonance, loyalty, um, build a meaningful connection with your consumer bases and your fan bases. So it's actually a mechanism towards business growth as well, if it's done in an authentic way. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that, I mean, that idea of purpose, is has always sort of been a thread that runs through sports right it's it's been there but it's interesting to hear you talk about it becoming the lead right Mm. this is the function why is that idea of purpose so important for the athletes you work with for the brands that you work with and for the teams and things like that for the properties and people you work with why is that so critical well, I think there are two reasons. Again, I kind of hit on the like business side of it. Mm-hmm. But teams and leagues look to actually meaningfully, teams, leagues, and sponsors are meaningfully trying to connect with their consumer bases. We've seen Gen Zs, millennials in particular, really now demanding that brands stand for more than just driving profits. But purpose-led companies are outperforming non-purpose-driven counterparts. The sports industry is low-key like slow to catch up to that idea though and we've really kept impact and profits super separate which i think is a huge miss um because again as i mentioned like we have some insights 17 sport we just ran a a survey which was looking at the and a whole research paper looking at the business case behind purpose-driven sports sponsorships and we found that 58 percent of top marketers and executives across the sports industry said that their purpose-led sponsorships perform better than their non-purpose-led sponsorship agreements, and that purpose-led sponsorships are having 91% better performance results in terms of enhancing brand perceptions. Um, and I think the loyalty stat, I don't have it offhand, I wanna say it was like 71% outperform the non-traditional. So we have stats to back this fact up, um, and we're really seeing that, again, like it's not mutually exclusive something that we as a sports industry would do well to embrace. Again, there's the financial piece there, but also like we have a responsibility, you know, 
we're not just existing to sit here and sell out tickets and maximize profits, but the role of a sports team in a community is so pivotal and essential in driving economic growth for a city and being able to really serve as that connection point, community point, um, to be able to drive home social change in terms of like some of the messaging around like climate action or gender equity. We trust sports teams and athletes now more than we trust politicians. Wild. So I think that also is another thing that like as an industry, us recognizing our positioning in society is like hugely important. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always struck by the fact that sports properties occupy this interesting space in our society where they are businesses, right? They are obviously big and very high profile businesses, but they are also enormous parts of community, right? They are a thing that communities rally around in ways that really aren't that many things that can attract that kind of connectivity. And I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with Jess Smith, who was at the time the head of revenue for Angel City FC. Their whole premise was built on the idea of purpose. I mean, and that's the success of that team speaks exactly to what you're talking about, right? You know, purpose and business are hand in glove. And you marry them effectively the result is a more successful endeavor than you would have if you didn't. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think Angel City FC is arguably the most, if not one of the most successful women's sports properties in the world. Um, definitely across NWSL and what they've built in three or four years is wild. Um, so hats off to Julie Ehrman and the entire team over there and Jess for what they've been able to create. I know a big underpin of that model is every corporate partnership or sponsorship agreement, 10% of those profits go back to, or those revenues go back to community-led initiatives that are really linked to what that sponsor cares about. So Sprouts, for example, cares about combating food deserts and food insecurity. So a percentage of that sponsorship agreement is going to go towards nonprofits working in that space. I'm assuming then that those kinds of stories and the stories of success that 17 Sport has just accelerate the wheel of organizations wanting to make sure that in order to connect with the fans of the future, that these kinds of things are not thought of secondarily. They're not afterthoughts, right? That they are central to what their organizations are. Are you counseling brands like that to say, you can't, you can't not think of this anymore. We work with a great slate of clients. We work right now currently with the international Olympic committee and their commercial team. I won't speak too much about that just because it's more internal at the moment. Um, We're working with, uh, we worked with UEFA as well. We've worked with major sponsors across sports like Sanofi, uh, WePro, Nissan, and Formula E as well. So Formula E Cape Town event, we help them craft a purpose-driven event with an organization called E-Movement in Cape Town in South Africa. Um, And then we also work with Adidas, which is an incredibly powerful stakeholder when you think about the sports industry and their power to drive influence. Um, and it's been incredible to see them really embrace purpose. Well, they are purpose-driven and really get to work alongside their team in many ways. You've brought up some examples and some benchmarks that showcase success. And I mean, I think it's a truism of any form of marketing that measurement is, is tough, right? Mm-hmm. How did this program perform compared to other things? Mm-hmm. And in the past, you've talked about social return on investment. And I'm wondering if you can 
define that a little bit and then why that's so important for brands to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So social return on investment is really a measurement solution, which is looking at measuring the social value created for society through an impact initiative or mm -hmm. a yeah. So what's really interesting about the SROI approach, social return on investment, is that we can actually put a dollar amount against that change. So we can say for every dollar, $1 invested, we were able to drive $4 of social value for society. And what sits behind that $4 number is things like improved educational outcomes or improved health outcomes or whatever. We would actually craft bespoke indicators based on the change we're looking to drive through the program that would kind of sit underneath that number there. But we've actually rolled out social return on investment offering for the NFL as well as Adidas um, and other of our others of our clients. But with the NFL in particular, we worked with the community affairs team, Anna Isaacson, Mays, Megan Mendoza, Melissa Party, um, and their salute to service program, and being able to measure this incredible program that they've invest, invested multi-million dollars in, I think a hundred million over the last um, 10 years for basically all military support to the military community for men and women in that space through um, different nonprofits that they support. So we were able to measure again, what's that social value of this program based on each individual element of the salute to service program. So at the nonprofit level, but then also down to those each individual. So it really was really, really great to work with their team and really kind of help them share that story of the impact they're driving, as well as be able to even continue to drive more impact by understanding, okay, dollar for dollar, this element drives this amount of impact, this element. Drives. I mean, I'm struck, right? Everybody knows that these are the, intrinsically knows that these are the right kind of programs to affiliate with, right? They, they provide that sense of purpose. But we live in a data-driven world. And so giving them the capability to evaluate what that means from an outcome standpoint is hugely important. And I'm assuming just takes that and again, goes back to momentum of showcasing what that purpose and the measurement of it can do for brands and more importantly, their partners. Yeah, 100. That's an important element that you brought up, Dave, as well as that as sponsors are leaning more into the purpose space, of course, they're going to want to know their financial ROI. We do that through the traditional Nielsen-esque type of measurement, QI media value, custom sponsor research, mixed market modeling, et cetera. But also being able to create, create a more holistic picture about the success of that sponsorship, also bringing in that element of, oh, this is the impact you were able to drive, and then allowing the sponsor to tell that story about the impact they're driving alongside the Raiders or whomever that property is, I think just paints that much stronger of a picture of the success of that partnership and allows them their storytelling to be stronger as well as a brand. The smartest brands I've ever worked with come to the understanding at some point that these teams are such incredible channels for them to tell their stories. And oftentimes the purpose that these teams can deliver to them through their own programs, through their own initiatives, are part of what does that so effectively. So it creates that continuity, that sort of um, that excitement level of all those different things and all those pieces working together to support what those programs are trying to do. 
I'm interested in you looking into your crystal ball because I think like we're we're at this point right now, like we talked about Angel City FC really sort of setting the bar towards what purpose looks like when it's embedded from the outset. Um, we've talked about brands and their expectations about purpose. We've talked about, you know, the future of consumers and what they want from their as a fan and what they want these teams to represent. As you look to your work at 17 Sport and think about your history with you know UNESCO and, and, and things like that, where where does this head? Like, like what's the work that still needs to be done to ensure success in that regard? Well, I'm very, very excited and hopeful about where we're headed as an industry. Uh, and just in the three years I've been at 17 Sport, I have seen the excitement and momentum behind this notion that leading with purpose will drive better financial and impact objectives for the various stakeholders. So I'm, I feel like the industry is starting to wake up to, okay, actually, like, this is a legitimate, great method to adopt. Something we're really excited about that's going on has been the work that we're doing with Adidas, particularly around their Breaking Barriers project, um, which is rooted in their core belief as a brand to make sport equal and that yeah. impossible. So alongside Adidas, um, about five years ago, so in 2020, we were able to kind of support their team and accompanying them and bringing this core pillar to life. They care greatly about gender equity. They're very, very committed to this, again, through their Make Sport Equal commitment. Mm -hmm. um, Help them to actually support their team in coming up with a strategy as well as implementation and marketing and comms around this Breaking Barriers project. Um, so what the Breaking Barriers Project is, is essentially it's a five-year commitment by Adidas to make sport equal for women and girls in Europe by breaking down those systemic barriers that are hindering girls from really achieving their full potential in sports and the systemic barriers across the industry that keep girls, basically hold girls back. Mm. I mean, the 12-year-old in you has to be smiling a little bit. It is so thinking, cool. thinking about where you were and knowing that those opportunities that you maybe even as you came to them a little bit later are now being laid out for the Brianna Salvatore Duex throughout Europe and across the world. It's got to be exciting. Yeah, 100%. It fills me with a lot of joy and just is so, so cool to see this work of Adidas and their commitment to this. Um, yeah, very, very proud of it. And also like, it's kind of wild. Me and my friend were reflecting the other day if, if me at 15 was able to take a look at me now and say, wow, look at the work that you're doing. You get to work in gender equity and sport. You get to work in this purpose space with the International Olympic Committee. Again, dream come true. I would be floored because it's just such an honor to get to be in this space and to get to work with such a great team at 17 Sport and to work with our incredible clients that I got to share a little bit with. So it's really cool. Brianna Salvatore Duek, she's head of strategy for 17 Sport. Thanks so much for joining us today. But before I let you go, I'm going to put you in the Reflex Gourmet lightning round. Okay. These are these are a bunch of questions you don't know what's coming. So, you know, are, are you sure you're ready? Are you sure you're ready? You want to take like a drink of water or something? Because this can this can get intense. I mean, the sponsors Reflex Gourmet. It kind of says it all, right? You know, it can really whew, get get you a little nerve wracking. All right. So here we go. Without any delay. Uh, you've played basketball all over the world. Um, which country has the best trash talkers? Ooh, the best trash talkers, China, actually. Oh. Amazing. <laughs> it's so 
you know we're talking trash to each other. You, know, <laughs> you have no idea what they're saying, but you, you know it's trash. The energy, yeah. Okay, all right, just the vibes alone. All right, vibes. China trash talkers, good to know. All right, you lived in Switzerland. Uh, so what do you miss the most? Fondue or the chocolate? Chocolate, 100%. Yeah, yeah. that was no, that was like a softball. I can't believe I even included that question. It's ridiculous. All right. All right. You work for UNESCO, which designate, designates World Heritage Sites. What place would you add to the list? Oh, man. I don't even know what's on the list. Maybe. Oh, come on. You work for UNESCO. and You have to have this committed to memory. Oh, <laughs> what would I add to the list? Maybe I would add. Um, the court the where you played basketball as a kid. Davis Pavilion, which is where the basketball games go down. <laughs> Davis Pavilion heritage site world heritage site i love it uh you met your husband justin at uc davis you both played basketball uh who's, who's gonna win the game of horse uh okay so horse 100 me last one-on-one -on -one game i won i've only beaten him once because he, again he's six foot eight but I he's got a little bit of a height advantage okay. for years he's like well, you want to go again i'm like no i'm good <laughs> <laughs> okay we're done we're never playing one-on-one -on -one again Exactly. All right, what's your what's your go-to shot in horse to beat him? Oh, it'll probably be a like deep three. Deep three. <laughs> it's just so it's just so mean. <laughs> Brianna Salvatore Duek, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the one-on-one -on -one Sports Business Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed it, we always appreciate a subscribe, share, comment, or like. And don't forget, you can always find past episodes at abcpartners.com slash podcast. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Dave Almey. And theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. <laughs>